Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of LaRue's Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. Gentlemen, the uh, the journey for the men's uh, sevens team at the Olympics is over. They officially have finished eighth overall. You know, it's interesting to say in a sport that a team that had only one win managed to have a pretty successful Olympics, you know, considering what everyone thought was going to happen. Um, but before we get into the rugby and we talk about but what we thought about that, has there been any of the Olympic other, other sports that have kind of caught your eye this year? So, uh, go ahead, Stu. Go ahead. No, thanks, Derek. Um, so, during a downtime at my job, I was able to catch the women's triathlon. And it's okay. Something along with the sevens is the fact that there's no fans just makes it the weirdest Olympics. But it was, um, I was only able to catch the running portion of it, and even then, just only half of it. But the Bermuda athlete, I am Flora, I uh, can't remember her last name. Um, not only is that um, her first medal at the Olympics, it's Bermuda's first gold medal as well. Oh, cool. And, and, it, and it wasn't even close. She was like yeah. 90 seconds down the road when she crossed the finish line. No one came near her. Um, the American athlete that was leading apparently at the start of the run uh, finished third and the British athlete um, finished uh, second. So, you know, it's a mixed bag, but I mean, uh, congratulations to Bermuda for getting their first ever gold medal. And um, I think it's obviously difficult trying to get any of like the big events because they're all at three or four o'clock in the <laughs> morning sure, although sure. derek's uh the bags under derek's eyes will yeah, say it's God, not Derek. impossible Great yeah job, no Mike. my uh my sleep schedule is uh, is messed up right now um <laughs> but yeah so i went i think yeah it's just because i've been watching like i've been doing my best to watch i'll like watch that because there's that one time slot that's really nice that first session of the day mm, is yeah. like really nice that's like eight was eight o'clock to like 10 30 30 i guess the last game ends at 11 realistically so like eight o'clock to 11 i'm like that's a that's like a prime time that's a good slot it's the one that like so i've been watching all of that and then i'll go to bed and then wake up for like the afternoon one or the no, i guess the early morning one afternoon in japan i guess um and that's yeah and that's like so i'm getting like not a whole lot of sleep but i've i figured out it's like i've been going to sleep i've been waking up for the games that i want to watch so i woke up for the canada games but then i'll go back to sleep for the games that i don't care about um and then wake back up again like for like today i went like today i watched all of the afternoon session i went to bed woke up for the canada game went back to sleep during the usa south africa game woke back up for like the bronze medal gold medal game which were totally worth it those games were awesome and then i went back to sleep for an hour before getting up to go to work so sleep it's funny like looking at uh looking at like my watch with the uh got like a garmin fitness tracker and seeing like the sleep schedules like be like you spent like you slept for like four hours and like or it'll, it says like i slept for six hours but it's like two hours i'm awake for it so yeah it's not really like it's uh it's very bizarre kind of like looking at it so I mean, there's been, um, Dan, you asked how much of the rest of the, if I've been joining the rest of the Olympics and normally I'm like, 
I'm all like, I'm a huge Olympic nut. Like I love, I watch everything when it comes yeah. to the Olympics. So, but like, I kind of like with the rugby tournament starting and the time slot, I'm like, my whole time so far has been devoted to rugby. So I'm sure I'll check out some cool stuff next week. Um, but it, like, it's cool seeing like Penny Alexiak get, you know, get a, another medal, just add to, you know, her reign of terror and yeah. You know, she's now most what most de- decorated, yeah, most decorated Canadian summer Olympian of all time already. She's just 21 years old, um, so she'll she'll only be 24 at the next Olympics if she continues um, on this. She route. could hypothetically like compete at another two, like two more Olympics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, or if she wants, yeah. And then um, her brother got drafted by the Seattle Kraken, so that's a fun week that's for that. A nice family. little deal, yeah. Um, um yeah, uh, yeah. I've been watching a lot of the surfing. I think it's been really fun. Oh, yeah. Was that cool? Like, I, I didn't get it. Yeah. So, the first the first actually. round of it was really weird because it was like super calm and like there was just like these little waves, but the surface were still able to do a lot of really cool tricks with it. And mm-hmm. then, like, I tuned in for like the semifinals and like the waves were huge. And I'm like, I can you imagine being a rugby player? And then, like, you have one day where your pitch is just like just a nice, even pitch. And the next day, there's just like, holes everywhere like like that like i'm sure it's happened to somebody somewhere yeah i'm sure but like for professionals like to have a like terrain that you have to rely on for sport be so like it's just a unique stop yeah that sounds like a pretty unique element yeah so that was that was pretty cool um skateboarding has been fun to watch i know yeah apparently apparently if you're 15 you're too old to uh to to metal skateboarding so yeah i think uh yeah, they that kind of hurt me realizing it's like, oh my god, I'm twice as old as some Olympic gold medalist yeah. right now. What have I done with my life? Speaking of the um, uh, triathlon, Stu, I like I tuned in to like just kind of oh triathlon, like I'll watch that, and it was like as you know what it was running the in end of the triathlon was what CBC was using to segue into the the um, Canada Japan game. Oh, okay. That's that's why uh, I saw okay. the end of the triathlon. Yeah, I totally saw. Um, a girl cross the line and then spew everywhere. It was so gross, dude. Man, that's that's a <laughs> yeah. hard hard event. I know, I know. Endurance, and you're like, like, like things. It's yeah, she had to be like, like put in crazy. a wheelchair and wheeled off. It was crazy. Yeah. All right, guys. Just, well, let's talk. I, I was just gonna say. I just wanted to confirm that the athlete's name is Flora Duffy. Um, she's former world champion. Um, well, she's so current obviously world champion that, now, well, current so. Olympic champion. There's a difference. There's a difference. Um, but uh, yeah, Bermuda's first gold medal ever. Well, so I think uh, I think the Philippines got their first gold medal. Yes, they did as well. That was cool. Yeah, so that it's was cool. That was like cool uh, so weightlifting far. of some. I can't remember. What weight I think it's yeah, weighted weight, weightlifting or whatever. Fifty-five kilo under fifty-five kilos, I believe. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was. But, it's cool seeing. And then there was uh, what that that one swimmer from like Tanzania or something. Yeah, I get, get the golden like, swimming. Yeah, it's cool, cool seeing. It's cool seeing the countries that don't usually medal get medals. Yeah. And stuff. It's always, you know, it's always always an exciting moment. It's what makes the Olympics fun to yeah. watch, though. Okay. So Canada's uh Canada's uh tournament. So in the group stage, they had a blowout against Great Britain. They had a close game against Fiji, but ended up kind of losing them the, the end of it. And they beat Japan pretty easily. Uh, it seemed in the group stage, their trajectory kind of went up, 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 up. Um, and then thanks to Ireland <laughs> beating Kenya by like, just like the right way. They had to beat them the right way. <laughs> um, Canada made it to the quarterfinals. And, and Derek and I talked about this last week about 
what like you know that being that that one of those third place teams was probably where Canada was going to aim for. Um, they got it, and the reward was all right. You're going to play against the All Blacks, <laughs> as as it always as it always is, right? It's always you know you get into the court. That's the thing, though, right? You get into the quarterfinals, you squeak in as the lowest seed. That means yeah. you get you get number you one, get the number one, the right? Period, so 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 they lost to uh, the All Blacks, and then they played a a damn close game against uh, the United States. Um, just losing at the buzzer. Carlin Isles just doing Carlin Isles stuff. Uh, and then they finished their, their tournament off by losing to Australia. I mean, the first half seemed close. The second half, Australia kind of just pulled away from them. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're going to talk about what maybe some of the things that Canada didn't have. Um, but going into the goal of the, the medal stages, Fiji went back to back, uh, beating the uh, New Zealand in um, – in the gold medal game. And it was a fun gold medal game to watch for sure. And the team that I loved watching this tournament, Argentina won bronze against uh, great Britain. And that was a really interesting uh, match as well. Um, I want to get your guys thoughts about, uh, about first, I want to go into Canada's tournament and kind of what happened. Um, and then I want to talk about the tournament as a whole, because there's a couple storylines that, I think we need to quickly touch on before we, we move on. Um, so guys, let's talk about what we saw in the pitch from Canada. Um, in my mind, there were some guys that really stood out to me, you know, and then they're kind of the regular old suspects, you know, Nathan Hiriyama, Connor Braid. Um, I think uh, Douglas had an amazing tournament. Uh, um, Justin Douglas, he was just kind of a playmaker in all facets and then the duo of Andrew Coe and um, Theo Sauter to me had flashes of like, oh wow, they're 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 playing really well. But then they would make a bonehead decision and make an offload to nobody, and then they would be turned over. So you know, I want to get your guys' quick thoughts about what kind of happened in this tournament. That that you know, my hope was that they they would have you know finish in the middle of the pack and they end up being lower you know what do you guys think i mean for me they finished about where i would expect them to finish and by that i mean in, in my opinion and you have a, a, an event like the olympics i understand why like the world seven the seven series plays all of the seven and eighth place finals and stuff but for a tournament like this, where you don't actually get points towards anything, honestly, the way I look at it is they lost in the quarterfinal. And I'm not, I'm not like, if you finish between eighth and fifth, you're pretty much like, I think you're tied in my mind. You lost in the quarterfinal. Yeah. Right. Like you don't, you don't get, there's no, there's no reward for like South Africa doesn't get anything for finishing fifth. Right. They just, <laughs> you got to play an extra two games for fun. Like, cool. Um, so to me, they, they lost in the quarterfinal, um, which you know, it was about kind of as me and Dan, like we, we talked about it last week. That's about where we were thinking they would. Right. Because it was like, you know, it, it's exp you, it, you would expect them to lose to Great Britain. Fiji's the best team in the world. Fiji proved that they are still the best team in the world during this yep. tournament, too. Right. So no shame in losing to Fiji. No shame in losing to Great Britain. And what we said last week was exactly what they did. It's like they need to just, you know, beat Japan and beat Japan badly. And it ended up that they had to beat Japan badly. And that 
game was great because you actually saw, you know, a lot of the execution kind of braid had his hat trick and, you know, you saw like really like what they, they can do. And, you know, ultimately that set up a super dramatic game between Ireland and Kenya, where I feel like you could see all the Canadian. I liked watching it on Twitter, like going through, like being on Twitter while it was happening. Cause you could see like all the Canadian fans being like, yeah, Ireland has to win. And then like Ireland's like, Oh no, you're winning by too much. Let's go Kenya now. And like yeah. switching allegiances, like halfway <laughs> through the game, because it's like, Oh no, you can't win by that much. Okay, sweet. And then uh, when uh, Vincent on scored, I was like, Oh, so yeah. Like that was the most excited I've ever been for a Kenyan try in my life. And they didn't even win. So it was like, yeah. so I think, I think that kind of, it, it was this. And I mean, you saw like the pictures of like Nate Hiriyama and um, Andrew Hammond kind of going around the Olympic village. Cause they were too nervous to watch until like the phones blew up and they realized that they got to the quarterfinal. And so I was like, you get to the quarterfinal and then you have to play the all blacks. Right. Mm-hmm. Mickelson, Curry, Ware, Collier, like, you know, they had guys that were some of the best players in the tournament. Like Curry had Curry was what did, what did Curry have? Like two tries a game in this tournament? Like seemed like every time the All Blacks scored, it was kind of him. I don't know what his actual number is, Dan. If you're look Dan, look it up if you want. To. I'll look it up. I feel like he had a lot of tries. Um, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, it was like when it got to like Great Britain and Fiji, I think, did a really good job of just breaking down Canada's defense, like being able to hold on to the ball long enough and then actually, you know, being able to hold on to the ball and like find those gaps. Against Fiji, Canada actually did a good job of maintaining possession, but they struggled to get anywhere with the possession, right? And then they ha- they ended up with a couple turnovers. And if you turn the ball over to Fiji, um, that's you're just that's just that's, that's going to be a try. And I think too, like when it got to the game against New Zealand, you know, New Zealand just dominated the breakdown. Every time there was a tackle, they counter rucked and were able to earn a penalty or just outright steal the ball. And, you know, to, to your point with um, Sauter and Cole, the one thing I thought was super interesting in the New Zealand game was basically was Cole had a really awesome breakdown steal, like super early. And I was like, oh, maybe that'll be like the moment that kind of like, maybe that is like the heat check on how well, the all blacks are doing in the breakdown, but then it didn't end up being that way. And the all blacks just kind of shook that off and continued to dominate that area of the game. So I think, you know, ultimately I'm not, I'm not really surprised by like where they finished. I'm like, I was psyched that they made the quarterfinal. So like they were able to keep that metal hopes alive. It is like we talked about last week. It was, it is one of those things where it's like, like we know Canada has beaten New Zealand in you know, in a sevens match. And then we know Canada's also won events on the seven series. Right. So it wasn't always out of the realm of possibility, but you know, there, there was a lot of, I thought there was a lot of like good things that they did, but it's like, you yeah. kind of look through it and it's like the teams it's, it's weird. Like the, I guess that's the one good thing about the Olympics, right? It's the best of the best. Right. So you look at the teams they lost to in this tournament, they lost to great Britain, Fiji, us, New Zealand, USA, and Australia. Right. Which, I mean, those those are all very good teams. Obviously, the United States is a huge rivalry, and they were, I mean, probably incredibly disappointed with how they got bounced yeah. in the quarterfinals. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about them later. So to answer your question, uh, Scott Curry had five tries. Who had the most tries in the tournament? Marcos Moneta, Moneta? from Argentina. Yeah, Moneta was unreal, man. That okay? Yeah. So that game, the South Africa Argentina game, 
where Argentina played almost the entire game with six guys yeah. was amazing. That was yeah. the easy, that was easily the best game of the whole. Focus though, we're talking about Canada. We're, we're going to talk about, about the tournament as a whole. We're going to talk about them after. Yeah, it's it's um, and again, it's it's something that constantly plagues. And Stu, I want you to kind of give, give your opinion about this. And I, I saw this, and and I, when I was kind of live tweeting about the game, the little detail mistakes you know the mm -hmm. yeah. the the not running into support the offloads yeah. when there's nobody there and you know rugby sevens is an incredibly quick game incredibly quick like you don't have the time or the support you do in 15 to, to take your time and make a decision because you're not going to have three guys are going to be with you to rock over that ball. Sometimes it's one guy and you have to make a decision. Is he going to get here in time or do I have to whip this ball to somebody? Mm -hmm. I get yeah. that. But it just seems that the little mistakes that Canada made, not only made them, you know, they lost they, so many tries for score, especially against Great Britain, their first game, which again, their first game, whatever, you know, your, the rust has to come I think, off. Well, I think that's that's an important thing to mention too, Dan. If you're going to say like the rust is going to come off, is they like the lack of prep going into this game too, and even like Great Britain got to the Olympic Village like about a week before Canada did. Team Canada wasn't there for yeah. very long. I think my understanding is that they tried to just live on like um, Tokyo time while yes. being at the, the training facility. Yeah, train, uh, I think it was like Phil McKenzie was yeah. telling and, us that. Yeah, and they were training in like hot boxes, or a hot box. That's definitely not the right word for that. But Hot tents or... Hot yeah, ten yeah hot exactly. Training, hot yeah. rooms? Uh, something. Hot rooms? Um, but like there was training in those to kind of like, you know, like work with like the climate and the heat and stuff. Um, and, you know, I think even like some of those other countries too, like they've been able to play games a little bit more recently, like actual games and stuff. Right. So, you know, there, there was a little bit, so it's like the rust, you know, it, it is, it's part of, I think what, you know, this whole past year has kind of been about, but I think, like I said, overall, I think they handled themselves pretty well. I think the one, like I said, it's like, I think from my expectations going into the tournament, like we said last week, it was like beat Japan and get to the quarterfinal. And that's what they did. So, like, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm happy with it. I would have loved to see them beat the USA. Just yeah. Because... My struggle with that, Derek, is it's not so much from a player or coaching perspective, but from an organization. If we're mm -hmm. worried about, and I, you know, money is probably going to be the answer to why I'm, I'm frustrated. But like, why were they not pushing themselves to be in those warm-up tournaments? They did the Dubai Invitational, and then that was it. Oh, why were they not part of those? I know, but like. <laughs> I think Funny, we can't just COVID protocols and stuff too. Maybe, but right? like the, uh, the women, the women's team had COVID when they came back from Dubai. Right. Yeah. They all had to, so, they all had to isolate and stuff there. Right. So, so that, that, but I think that's important to mention is that at the end of the day, this is also a money thing. Oh, um, for sure. That, that if, if we didn't want to use that excuse of, of rust, then they probably should have been in Tokyo earlier. Like, like you said, Great Britain. But you can't, uh, I don't think you can be in Tokyo early. Like, I don't think you can be, you, I don't think you can be in the Olympic village earlier. Okay. Because I think, so I think they have like their COVID do whatever Great Britain in did, place. Then. I think you're only allowed to be in the Olympic village. Like, yeah, yeah. Right no, I hear what you're saying, event. but Great Britain did it. So why couldn't Canada do it? Uh, well, they were in Tokyo. Were they in the village? 
but that but at the same time zone like yeah i don't care if they're in there if they're they're in their rooms that they're going to be staying in just you know obviously that was that was a yeah but but a little advantage i mean there's just little things that that you know leading up to this were a little frustrating and that's i'm not saying i'm not i don't want that take that away from from what the men accomplished in this tournament I do think you answered your own question though before you started yeah. your mini rant though. With sometimes you just need to talk out loud, and, and sometimes yeah, but you, you already know the answer, right? So it's frustrating. Um, Stu, looking at kind of the tournament as a whole, what do you think about kind of what Canada did? And I want to get both of your guys' thoughts about the future. So, 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 um, Stu, I want you to go first on this because I have the ages of all the guys that went to Tokyo and uh, you know, I'm not going to rhyme them all off, um, but the average age is about 28 years old. We've got uh, one, two, three, four guys over the age of 30. um, And only three guys under the age of 25. So, you know, I believe on the one of the broadcasts, I think it was with the U S is that they said that Canada has one of the most, had one of the most experienced teams at the Olympics in terms of the, the seventh circuit. Yeah. So this is an older team. Yes. You know, they are going, this is going to be a transition stage. You know, we already know that Connor Braid and Harry Jones both have a real estate business together, you know, that they are transitioning to their next step. Yeah. Um, Nathan Harry is the oldest guy on the team um, at uh, 33 years old. You yeah. know, he's, I, I can't see him staying around for much longer. Yeah. Um, and we know that there are some guys on in this program on this team that the 15s coaches, you know, um, Kingsley Jones and and you know the guys with with Team Canada are looking at them, saying that we want them to also be part of our plans as well. And and I know I, I had uh, Mama Thiel on Twitter kind of remind me that the sevens isn't a stopping point. You know, some guys want to be part of the sevens program for all their careers. And, and I, I completely understand what she's saying there, but there's a point in time where most rugby sevens players have an expiration date. You know, I think it's someone like John Moonlight, like eventually yeah. he just couldn't keep up with the team, with the game. And he played a little 15s with the arrows before he, you know, went on with his firefighting career. And, and after, after the 2016 Rios, there wasn't an option like, like uh, MLR kicking around, you know, hmm. I, I, it's a personal thing. If I'm a 31, 33 year old sevens player who just finished an Olympic cycle and I've been offered by an MLR team, a contract that's might pay out around the same that I was probably getting from rugby Canada play sevens. And instead of having to tour the world, I just have to tour North America or the States, depending on which team I play for. That's a pretty enticing life. Yeah, I can imagine. So I, I want to get your perspective first, Stu, about this. What, where do you think that this tournament or this this team is going to go? You know, and we we all Derek and I also talked about this um, with with uh, ourselves and Brian Ray that we also have a deficiency in certain positions that the sevens program has kind of taken some of our younger talent. You know, like I, we think about like Brock Webster and um, uh, uh, Mullins, who is also a, uh, a you know typically a, a, a number eight, you know, um, I want to get your guys thoughts about where this team's going to next. Now that the Olympics are now over for them. Yeah. So you bring up a good point as does mama Thiel in the sense of 
um, because of MLR and because of the sevens program in place, we Canada doesn't need to do this thing of, um, you know, you can mix and match. You can be with the sevens program for a couple of years and then you can join an MLR team. It could be the case that by the time it comes to uh, Paris 24, we have a sevens team that are playing exclusively sevens and we have an MLR team that's playing exclusively 15s. Like even in the rugby sevens senior men's list, they still have uh, Quinn Nawadi listed. He is <laughs> he's a he's a he's a 15s player now, guys. Uh, I don't know the last time he played sevens. Um, if he comes back and plays sevens, then prove me wrong. But you know, first of all, update the list. But um, to get more accurate with what can be done further down the line, um, so as posted by Rugby Canada, it is 365 days till the Commonwealth Games in more or less my hometown, Birmingham, 2022. Um, and obviously, I think what that tournament should be, because I think the qualification process is going to be far more streamlined. Um, and also, only Commonwealth nations can go to it. So, of course, Canada will probably make an appearance. Is that this would be like the swan song for guys like uh, anyone who wants to like retire in front of uh, cheering crowds, um, in front of you know fans, regardless of who, which nationality they are. Because yeah. I think, I think obviously, if you'd say like, okay, the Olympics are going to be my final tournament, it's great to do that in front of supporters. When there's no one there, it's not the same. And just because this tournament's going to be in England, I think it's going to um, have a better is a better reason to retire there than it would be to retire at the Olympics. Now, um, obviously, I don't know uh, these guys' training uh, regime or how much they've had to sacrifice to get to the Olympics. They may just say, sod it, it's not worth it, I'm calling time now. Um, but I think that, you know, if they want to go one more year, again, it's the Commonwealth Games, it's not as serious as the Olympics, but to just uh, play one more time in front of um, uh, fans, in front of friends and family who should hopefully be able to um, come along and see these games. Um, I mean, obviously, there'll be the uh, World Sevens series that's happening in Vancouver and Edmonton. So maybe yeah. they say, oh, we'll retire there instead. You know, take, take your pick. But... Um, I think what can happen for the seven series for 2021 will be a focus on things such as, okay, um, we're going to start bleeding the youngsters. I know I keep going on about like, oh, you got to bleed them, bleed the youngsters, got to get them out there, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's the same. It's the same for the World Cup cycle for 15, same for the Olympic cycle for the sevens. You got to start getting the young boys out there getting, um, them used to international competition of that caliber as well because if because some guys are going to retire and they are going to have to step aside and you are going to have to get yeah. new names up you also have to recognize that um some guys like so we have uh, cole davis we have um the aforementioned uh, quinn nawadi who are playing 15s now and it looks like they'll be playing 15s for um a significant portion of their career so should you now transition to saying like we will have like exclusively sevens players in the Canada setup? Maybe even have some guys in the uh, 
premiership sevens if that ever comes to fruition yeah so that that's that's the thing that i wanted to bring up before we get Derek's thoughts about this is that you know we we had we had um you know some of the players from great britain talk about how if you look at all the teams that were that were in the medal rounds they all had full-time programs yeah and that was his biggest frustration is look what we did without having a full-time program and we know that canada has a relatively full-time program but you know the seventh, the premier seventh circuit might make things more enticing for some some guys to stick around because that will be extra income being added to you know their pockets, um, and it'll just be a little bit on you know a different part of it. And I know this year, this year it's weird with with how they're starting in the fall, and the premier sevens is also going to be starting in the fall. So we'll have the world circuit and then the, this domestic circuit kind of interloping, but. You know, once things kind of post-COVID get back to normal, um, you shouldn't have that problem anymore. So the Sevens life is a little bit clearer now, If again, if this Premier Sevens comes to fruition. Derek, what are your thoughts about where you want or where you think this term, this program can go? Because again, like I said, a lot of their, their guys that they've relied on, you know, Justin Douglas, uh, Mike Fulafau, Nathan Hiriyama, Harry Jones, um, and even kind of Connor Trainer coming back in the last year and a half. Adam Zaruba wasn't part of the the program, uh, part of the Olympics team, but he's thirty, and he's been a part of their kind of setup for uh, for for many years. Uh, they all seem to be getting ready to move on, or they're they're up there in terms of they're going to be 35, 34. 33 when the next Olympics come around, like, are they going to want to stick around with the program? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess we'll see how long they can stick around. I mean, obviously the next Olympics is only in three years instead of four. Right. So it's a little bit, that's shorter. right. Okay. So, um, but you know, I, I think, yeah, I think much like the, uh, the 15s program, it's like, you know, you're going to have to, you're ha- you have to, at this point, start, you know, bringing in some new guys, you know, maybe you see somebody, guys like uh, Josiah Mora or Brock Webster kind of, you know, getting a little bit more playing time. And I think, I think the sevens, you know, that pro sevens circuit that um, looks to be being set up for the fall, you know, it'd be interesting to see like when we get some full rosters or anything from that, how much that has an impact on, on that. I think I would, I do kind of agree to the extent that I don't, I don't necessarily think, you need to stop guys from going between the sevens and the 15s program. But I think you definitely need guys focusing on one or another for a good stretch of time. Like if you do it for like an Olympic cycle and then decide you want to go play 15s after or something, then that's fine. I think, you know, to your point where you're looking at the, uh, the teams that got to the final four and stuff, it's like, they don't, you know, countries like, you know, Fiji, Great Britain, New Zealand, um, they don't, necessarily have guys jumping back and forth and i think even like you saw like semi Randra, who is you know arguably the best center in the world right and it's like arguably one of the best 15s players in the world oh yeah exactly arguably one of the best players in the world period and he like barely could barely crack fiji's lineup for for a lot of that tournament mm-hmm. right and i don't even think he played in the gold medal game and so i think that's kind of like that's where like the countries that are good at sevens like that's what they they do right like they're able to focus on sevens obviously like ireland has a guy like harry mcnulty that was playing 15s like a couple of weeks ago or whatever or whenever the last time he actually played for the la guiltinis was at some point this year but you know he's you know so 
But again, you also look at Ireland not making the pool stage, right? So, or not making it out of the pool stage. Um, so I think that's kind of where you would go. I think like overall, man, I think, I think ultimate, like, I think Canada's sevens program overall is pretty good. Um, it's just like, like you kind of said, you look at this tournament, look at the, the teams that they lose, they lost to. It's Great Britain, Fiji in their pool. They got to the quarterfinals still. And, you know, then they ran into New Zealand. USA is one of the best, is still one of the best sevens teams. So you lost to them and then you lost to Australia, right? Like you lost to a lot of really good um, sevens programs like during yeah. the, the Olympic Yeah, run, it's right? just hard to it's see. No... It's hard to see with all the playmaker, like the, the game changers that, that again, we don't, we can't speculate because we don't know what, what guys are planning. But if the guys we think are leaving the You've program spent, are you leaving. You guys have both spent the entire like last 20 minutes speculating on guys yeah, leaving. I know. So, but my point is, is we, with those guys leaving, I have a hard time seeing this. And and again, we but haven't again, seen a lot. Speculating on no, no, sorry, no. You're, let me finish. Let me finish. We haven't seen a lot. And I think my big my big problem is we haven't seen any under twenty. We haven't seen any of the young guys, and I think that's where some of my worry comes from. Is that well? It's like we've we've seen them. Like they've played at tournaments, right? Like guys, guys like like I said, like yeah. But like, I'm thinking, even thinking, when was the last time we had a U twenty tournament? probably before covid exactly so we've had two years of of, of no like playing. no Anything. young young tours of sevens programs we've had yeah no u20 tournaments but that doesn't so, mean their players are bad i Derek, right. you need to listen to what i am saying dude because you keep on interrupting me i'm saying it's concerning because it's just the unknown i'm a fan that has seen some of the game changers from this program leaving and I don't know what's coming. I again, I've seen I've seen limited action of some guys again, like like uh, Josh Thiel and Josiah Mora and just, Brock just, Webster yeah. and and the K's and Pat K and Isaac K. I've seen some of it in limited action. But again, you are taking guys like Connor Braid, Nathan Hiriyama, and Justin Douglas, guys who have been starting almost they they started every match for Canada and saying. Okay, you guys are pro and Harry Jones. You guys are probably gone because two of you guys are already realtors. One of you is thirty three years old, and you're probably just absolutely tired of dragging Canada around. And Justin Douglas, he'll probably play for a couple more years. But like those guys are are three out of the f seven guys that are starting in your lineup, and they're gone. So I'm just concerned because I haven't seen anything from some of the younger guys. Well, I mean, so. Like and that's that's what's that's the thing with every every kind of changeover in cycles, especially in rugby. The unknowns with the 15s program is I at least have MLR to watch some of these guys before we had a test match. You know what I'm saying? Like I at least could see a little bit of Siki uh, Siaki Vikilani, a little bit of Will Kelly, a little bit of Quinn Nawadi this year. I haven't seen anything from some of the young guys, and it's just concerning me as a fan. You can't take that away from me. You can't change my mind on that. Well, I mean, then I think I like. I'm think not saying that the, the Rugby Canada program is in dire straits. I'm not saying that. I never said that. I'm just saying that this is a transition period that we've never seen before because we haven't been able to see any of our young guys in two years. Yeah, I, but it's like at the same time though, it's like I think there's there's been time like you're saying like you haven't seen some of these guys is like Josiah Mora made his debut in 2016, right? Like he, that's. Like that's, that's again, five Derek, years you, ago. You're man. you're choosing to ignore 
two things I had said previously it's, it's about the U20 to like, tournament and about the seven tours. But, it, but it's so also, you're choosing to ignore those things and then only talk about. But, it, but it's a also couple like, guys. It's also it's, it's also tough to be like, hey, like we're worried about the future, but you like if you you're worried about the future, but you can't name guys coming up though either. That is a. But but is that a problem or is that just? Well, yeah, because I'm not a member it. of Rugby Canada, so I don't need to know every single guy that's coming up. I'm a fan. As like a fan, you're saying it's like nobody's coming up, but you don't, you I haven't. Say that. I said it. I don't know anyone who's coming up. I'm saying that we are trying to replace guys that have been legends in the Seventh Circuit for Canada. So you got to see that there is a pedestal that these guys are going to have to fill. These these boots that they're filling are huge. Like you're, sure. how could you not look at Nathan Hiriyama leaving and going? Well, that is going to be a huge boots to fill, and I don't know how Canada is going to be able to fill those boots. No, obviously, obviously, Hiriyama is like he's what third all time in scoring. That's obviously going to be big to fill. Um, Brock Webster looks pretty good though, like if he chooses to keep on that sevens path, right? So, I mean, there's guys there. Jake, Jake Thiel got into the Australian game, yeah, at the end of this tournament and stuff, right? So it's like there, there's there's definitely guys there. I wouldn't. I I think you know as, as you. I think Canada. Can, is going to get better at sevens. I think they, I do think they need guys focusing on it more though. Right. And it's like, if you're going to play seven, because I think even that was like, I think Hiriyama got better once he became a sevens player. Yeah. Once they took once him he start, like, you know, fly you half back. at the 2015 world cup. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. It's like once, once, Same thing with Harry stopped, Jones. once he kind of stopped bouncing between the two, he got way better at sevens. Yeah. And he's one sure. of the best players on the tour. Right. Regardless of what, of any country right he's just flat out one of the best guys on the tour so i think you kind of do need that focus and i think i think like i said i think you know sevens can become an opportunity i don't think it necessarily has to be a stopping or like you know a point to like elevate guys but i do think that the best countries have guys focusing on playing sevens and i think that's kind of where you need to go but i'm not worried about guys leaving especially since we don't actually know who's leaving so i'm not going to worry about it too much yeah, okay. Well, you will worry about it on your own time then. All right, well, let's move on then, guys. Uh, so the women start in like 45 minutes. Their first game is up against Brazil. Um, for those who are, are wondering, we are recording on, you know, it's, when, it's, a, it's Wednesday night. So Canada will be facing Brazil uh, very soon, and then they will play Fiji, and then they will play France. Expectation is they will be top of their group or – in the top two so they'll be moving on you know so it's going to be a very interesting uh situation for them they should definitely be at the top of their group yeah i mean you know Fiji, the Fiji, two is under expectations yeah i know uh Fiji, again are we gonna are we gonna count out fiji though like that's yes Can- canada should Fiji, Fiji women and yes. Fiji men are not the same. Yeah, no, yeah. This is Canada. This is this team should have gold medal expectations. The first step to winning a gold medal is running through your group. They should, they should, like, they should finish first, and they should finish first by a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you know what? Now that I'm looking at it, Fiji's uh, in 2019 they were 10th. Yeah. Overall. No. Yeah. They should they should run through this group. Really, France is higher than them in in the pool. So that, uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah, they should they should still destroy. Um, France, 
guys, we've talked about the women's program multiple times on the show. Gold, gold or bust is how they feel. And I think you got to look at how the U.S. kind of did in the men's men's side and kind of look like that is basically this what they want to avoid. You know, uh, the U.S. were going for medals. You know, they, 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 they've had one of the most consistent programs since Rio. Uh, and it was a pretty disappointing finish in their eyes, you know. Um, I mean, they're all pioneers of the game. So, uh, you know, we want to give them a pat on the back for what they've done for the sport. But I think when we look at the women's program for, for Canada, I think that is kind of their worst case scenario is what happened to the U.S. this year. Yeah. You mean losing? Yeah. yeah. Losing, losing is the worst case scenario. Um, it's, uh, yeah. I, I, like we said, man, for the women for the, again, like different expectation for the men. No, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely like is. this, this team should be like this, this is a team that should, if they don't medal, like with, if they don't medal, it's disappointing. Yeah. Like, you know, we'll, we'll see, like, like you said, it's like, by at the time we're recording, they're going to play Brazil in about 45 or just over an hour, I guess, by yeah. now. Um, so th- they're going to play Brazil and then they get Fiji, to, I guess, in the morning and then they get France tomorrow. But yeah, they, they, sh- they should like, they got, they got Landry, who's arguably one of, if not the one of, if not maybe the best, you know, women's sevens player ever. Um, certainly, you know, the best to ever wear a Canada Jersey. Um, and they have, you know, they have like the other stars like Williams and, uh, Bianca Farrell and, you know, to, to back them up, to, to back her up too. Right. So it's the, the team, the team stacked. Um, it's it, like, there should, the team stacked and they have a good group. So they, I think they should fly through, yeah. through that. And then we'll see who they end up having to play, um, once they get through to the quarterfinals, but you know, it's, it's something to, um, like that, that, that's to me, that's it. It's, that's the expectations. Like they win a, they win, they have to medal. like yeah. ideally a gold one. But I think like, you know, ideally a gold one, and especially since the fact that they're coming off of a bronze medal too, mm-hmm. like at the previous Olympics, it's like, that's, you either have to, I think you either have to match that or improve upon it. Right. So, it is a little, it is, like you said, it's a little bit different than the men's tournament. Right. So, so just a couple stats for you guys. Jislaine mm-hmm. um, Landry is third all time with tries, 143. She is number one all-time for points scored with 1,356. And then she's second all-time with conversions with 319. Um, No slouch yourself, Bianca Ferrella is second all-time in try scored, fifth all-time in points scored. So we've kind of got two legends of the game absolutely going at it um, for Canada. So I'm, I'm excited. I know that you guys are too, so... Um, let's move on because we have other amazing rugby to talk about, which is exciting. This weekend saw two semifinal, uh, matches, um, both had kind of different feels to it, which, which I think is always interesting. And, uh, you know, the first one was, uh, ATL just squeaking by, uh, rugby United, New York, 10 to nine. Um, Stu, I want to get your thoughts on this game because it was, it was an interesting, hard-fought match for sure. Yeah. So this is—I'm going to say something in a bit, but obviously, um, you know, congratulations to Rugby ATL. 
um, you know, there was a moment where I'm sure a few people were like, you know, biting finger, biting fingernails all the way down to uh, the knuckle. Um, Cause it's one of these games that's similar to ATL's game against uh, Nola Gold earlier in the season. It's a low scoring game, but it's still incredibly tense. And I think that tension really added to it. And I mean, when you say that, oh, Dan Holland's head, he's had to return to New Zealand because he has his um, like Mitre 10 or whatever competition it is. He has that contract he has to honor. So you have so Harry Bennett has to step up instead. And, you know, especially like his second kick, which was after he'd been clattered from a clearing kick was over, I'm pretty sure it was like close to the 60 meters and 50 meters. And he nails that. And suddenly, if you're an ATL fan, you may be going like, oh, uh, can't really uh, do those kind of, uh, give away those kind of penalties anymore. Um, and then at the start of the second half, where there was just that, a good five to 10 minutes of line out, driving mall, it's a penalty, repeat process until yellow card appears. And even with the advantage, it's then um, Chance Wengaluski stamps on the player's head and then he's sent to the sin bin and it's all turned around. Um, and yet here's the thing, at no point watching that game did I think ATL weren't going to win it. They just seemed to have some form of composure. I think yeah. that's what, that they're just... As in, like, yeah, we've um, we may have conceded uh, two extra penalties, and so now we're six points down, but we're still going to win this game. Like, well, I want to I want to go back to the Fire and Ice Cup with Toronto Arrow. So, if 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 you guys remember and, and listeners remember that game was first half, it was rugby or was uh, rugby ATL stopping everything the Arrows could do. They had a quick defensive line that stopped everything and it just seemed that anytime the arrows got a chance to do something there was a guy in the ribs tackling them then they come out of the shed the second half and they start using, kicking the ball more they started you know uh trying to get the ball out wide more um and using those different types of skills to get the ball out wide and and they almost won the game off of it i did not see any type of strategy change like that from rugby uh rugby united new york like they seemed convinced that they were going to win this the way they wanted to. And, you know, you got guys like Quinn Nawadi on, on the wing kind of just starved for, for the ball and never really got to do a whole lot with it. And I think it, again, I don't watch every single Rooney game. So, you know, I hope someone can correct me on this, but I have loved watching Quinn Nawadi's defense develop over this year. I just wish that they used him more as a weapon. You know, oh yeah, I and, think, and I think ahead, in Derek. the case of this game, the biggest problem is that they never had the ball. Like, if you want to yeah. talk with like Quinn Nawadi being starved of possession or starved of time with the ball on the wing, it was like the possession numbers in this game was sixty-one, um, thirty-nine in favor of Atlanta. Yeah. Like, like New York barely touched the ball, and even like you can even kind of look at the plays like the penalties that they got like were were earned but like the one penalty the second Bennett penalty was because uh Rowan Gauss hit Bennett after he kicked 
And on that play, the the penalty goes to where the ball lands. Right. So it's like yeah. Rooney, like that that was a penalty that happened like well deep inside Rooney's 22, but because it was on a kick, it goes to where the ball lands, happened to be within Bennett's range where the ball landed. Right. So it was like they like they weren't really getting that possession. No, I mean you're right. You know, 37, you know, Rooney had three percent. Oh, I know I'm 37%. Right. I know, but I'm kind of saying to the to the to the listeners, Derek. Uh they they had you know 300 less meters carried. Um they had to make almost double the amount of tackles. Um yeah, it, it just you, you, I think Stu kind of hit the nail on the head. I don't think there's ever a period in this game where I thought Rooney might Rooney might no, you know make a win out of this. The this the saving grace, I think, is like like Rooney tackled pretty well throughout the game. Like they played pretty well on defense. Um, guys like Brakely, Tawaki, um, Mintern were outstanding in defense, I thought, throughout this game. Um, Tawaki had some real nice plays where he just like messed up rugby ATL's mall. Uh, most notably, the one at the end of the game where he just like it looked like he just was like it kind of looked like Rook BATL didn't even have players in the mall. He just went right through yeah. and grabbed the ball carrier and just threw him out of uh, into touch by his jersey to uh, to end the half. Right. So I thought like Rooney did well in that. The problem is just it's one of those things where it's like when you have the ball as much as rugby ATL did, eventually the other team's going to start taking penalties. And Rooney, like Rooney's biggest problem is it's like you know. Right, the that whole thing, right? It's like fool me once, sh- like you know, shame on you. But it's like fool me like fifteen times in a row in a ten minute span of like just penalty, 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 yellow card, penalty, 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 penalty. Like it's like the amount of penalties that they gave up in a row, and it's just so like rugby ATL's lineout was a hundred percent where Rooney had success was kind of as I said, Tawaki Breakley destroying their mall. But it was like you give that team like whatever it was, like what would it have been like five six seven shots in a row at it like they're gonna score eventually and eventually they they did kind of and eventually they did figure it out man so you know it's uh it, it was interesting because it's like you know rugby ATL is usually one of those teams that it's like they don't necessarily have possession all that often just because of the way they play but you know just the way the way that this game ended up kind of working out it was they had the possession of the ball all the time and it was just constant penalties from Rooney that I think you know going into next week I think there is a slight area of concern of being like you know like rugby ATL probably should have had a lot more points than what they ended up with in this game right and you know just based on like the amount of opportunities and they just kept you know it's it's I think what this game kind of comes down to is is like if you're going to give it like Rooney conceded 18 penalties in this game. So, I mean, if you're going to give a team 18, and a lot of those penalties were like, you know, while they were trying to defend their goal line, which I thought they actually did a really good job of, especially like, and in all honesty too, that one stretch, I think it's from like the 43rd minute to about the 50th minute where it's like rugby ATLs within 10 meters of their line for like a solid, like seven, eight minute stretch. And Rooney's just taking penalty after penalty. Eventually, there's one yellow card. They're still taking penalties. And then Rugby ATL still can't score, though. And then eventually, when Gluski gets that um, that yellow card um, after the TMO review, and, you know, Rooney comes out. And I was kind of looking at that moment of the game, kind of being like, you know, if you're Rooney, based on the way this game 
was going at the time. It was like, you probably take that trade of, yeah, like just take constant penalties to stop them from scoring. And after seven minutes, you get to finally get to clear the ball and it's 14 on 14 or whatever. Like I thought, I thought like that was a pretty decent ish trade at the time. It's like, I think you, you can sacrifice some penalties to save a try, but I mean, it was just the amount of penalties that they took eventually just straight up caught up to them. Sure. That's why they ended up losing the game. Okay, guys. Well, what do we think about the, the other game that kind of happened? A real kind of seesaw affair. I, I really thought up until like the until Ryan James entered the pitch that Utah had this game, but LA pulls out the win 17 to 13. I want to go back to the first couple episodes before this season started where a scrappy, scrappy Brit Stu Hardy said that his MVP was going to be Ryan James. And you know what, buddy? I I I thought he was fine, but you know what? After this this court uh, the semifinal performance, I might have to uh, give you a little bit more credit than than we originally gave you because that was quite the performance by by James. And hopefully, it's enough to earn him a starting spot because that was a great game. All I can say is I'm glad everyone is finally coming around to what I saw right at the start. <laughs> and, um, no, in all honesty, it were I thought. Um, Adam Ashley Cooper running back inside, eliminating three defenders was genius, which you obviously get when you're a multi-World Cup player. Um, I thought uh, Harrison Goddard as well, because he um, spotted uh, James being available on the wing, which allowed the first try. And then, obviously, James's sidestep, which got the match-winning score. It was just fantastic, but there were, um, it was just like everything in between those moments was uh, maybe not as polished as they, uh, LA was hoping it would be. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Also got to give credit to Sama Malolo for, you know, adding another try to his uh, season record. I thought that was uh, great work from him. And... um, and I think the issue I had for LA was after Gitar went off and Luke Cardi, yeah, uh, Cardi came on. Um, the kicking accuracy was poor. I don't think he got a single kick. And you know, if, if there's one team you don't want to have within scoring range, it's Utah because uh, <laughs> Four times a season, they've uh, been able to have a last-minute score. Obviously, a uh, handling error prevented that from happening. Handling again. error. That was um, Vularaka probably breaking a handful of ribs um, and causing a knock-on. That hit was unreal. <laughs> that was yeah. one. Of the, I think that was one of the best hits of the season. And you just he's, and like you can kind of see a uh, like Vugacado um, kind of down while the play was kind of finishing up. I don't. Know. It took him a while to get up from that. That hit was amazing. Yeah, well, perfectly timed to essentially force a knock on. But um, yeah, but I mean, for like the first 30, 35 minutes, it was, you know, equally intense, both sides, you know, wanting to attack, but their defenses were just too great for either side to overcome. Um, It was also good to see, um, I know that LA have, been selling tickets for that game for $10. They're now selling 
the championship final tickets for ten between ten and five dollars as well. So I think they're hoping to break the uh, MLR attendance record, which if any stadium can do it, it's the one with seventy-seven. Did we have like a capacity. number of there's uh, like how many fans were there? But that game, I don't think so. I've, okay, I've looked on Reddit and people have said that it was more or less, and they said there's less sitting down, but more in like the beer garden yeah, area, like a beer garden thing or something. Yeah, it's annoying that they haven't released like. Official, no, they did it. They did it for SoFi, and I'm like, "Well, can you do it again, please?" <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm sure we'll find out within uh, the coming weeks and so. Um, but that said, I thought it was a yeah, it was, an, it was a more entertaining game for a neutral fan, especially um, because there were simply four times as many tries. Uh, <laughs> also, nice. the um, the lack of humidity and the ball being. Like a bar of soap. In, yeah, the need of the Japan balls. The, like yeah. the balls they'll never like. I remember World Rugby posting a photo about it. And it's like them specifically saying like, "We will never use these balls in any other tournament because of how it is. sticky they are. Like how like like grippy are. Like cat. Like, my wife was basically like, so it's like a Spider Man ball. Like, you know, <laughs> like kind of yeah. Like that's what that's what rugby ATL and, and Rooney needed. Yeah, uh, apparently the rhino balls kind of turn into bars of soap once it's uh once they get mm-hmm. wet and a little bit of humidity and uh like in the humidity when you have, you know, sweat on them and stuff it doesn't help. Um I thought this this game I thought was was very entertaining. It was interesting to see I thought two of the best offensive teams in the league being forced to play a lot of defense. Yeah. Um, so that that was that was a lot of fun. And it's nice to see that they they have it in them to do that too. Um, the lineouts I thought were very interesting in this game, and you know it's not so much because I mean so LA was sixty three percent and Utah was seventy one percent, and it's not even so much that I thought that the lineouts were bad, but it was just like I think the lineout defense was so good that it screwed up the yeah. lineouts for both teams, and I think it's one of those interesting things where it's like. I think LA and Utah are both very good at defending lineouts and they went up against each other today and their defensive lineouts is better than their offensive execution of those lineouts. And it just, you know, kind of created a massive problems for everybody. Um, Billy Meeks in defense was absolutely unreal too. He had three breakdown steals as like, you know, that, that one, I, oh, I guess that one game where he had to play flanker and then was like unreal and it's like the more the more that I think back to that is like oh man like like LA really does just have a flanker that can run and pass the ball really well in the in their midfield there so you know he 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 is incredible defensively he had an outstanding game but like DTH to get into a little of the Canadian content too I thought DTH played really well in this game too he uh, kind of had a couple big runs went around looking for work a lot and. You know, it was it was interesting. I thought there's a couple couple other like interesting things about like um, you know, just through this game that I thought too. It's interesting seeing tries being disallowed for by TMOs that would have counted if it was earlier in the season or something like that. So that's always that's always yeah, interesting. Seeing, seeing um TMO in at yeah. Lupo Field, I mean right, okay. We got to make this a regular thing, and I know no, Derek, I, you've talked about about yeah. like money and like it being a money thing, but like, no, I fans think... have 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 made a point after seeing the TMO in the semifinals this year that yeah. this has to be a priority, if not next year, the year after, 
Like, come on, MLR. It, it is changing outcomes of games in the regular season. You're changing. Hey, you're changing outcomes of games in the playoffs too, right now. So it's, yeah, I but think for the most part, they're getting the right call. No, no. Yeah. They're, the they're, they are getting the right call. I just think when it comes to TMO, in my opinion, I think one, I, I agree with you, Dan, that like TMO for every game, that would be nice. Um, hopefully that's something that can happen in the near future. But I think I, in my opinion, from the first preseason game, to the final whistle of the championship should be played under the same rules. That's just so my think, opinion on it. I think that there shouldn't be TMO. Yeah, I think if you play with re- without TMO in the regular season. Yeah, I, I think if you okay. play without Yeah, TMO, I can get behind that. Yeah, I can get behind that's that. the only reason I'm saying I I, I don't. And it's like, because like in, in all honesty, you're saying it changes outcomes of games in the regular season. And it's like, well, yeah, like it changed outcomes of the games in the playoff. Because if it was the regular season, Ryberg's try seven minutes in counts. Right. So like, it is a little bit different when Gluski might not have gotten a yellow card. Right. So it's like, it it changes outcomes a lot. Right. Uh, It's still changing outcomes. And I think even like I go back to that one game that was at SoFi stadium where Derek Summers reversed a call because he saw it on one of the screens. (laughs) He's like, I can't ignore that. I know we don't have team ball, but it's right there. And you know, I don't fault Derek Summers for that because at the end of the day, that call, the, his original call was wrong. And like the screen was showing that, but it's like, but I'm like, yeah, not every stadium has that though. Right. So it's like, you shouldn't, like, I just, it's like, should you be allowed to reverse a call because you see it on a screen? Yeah, but you don't need this. Like, but the TMO, yeah, we talked about this. TMO doesn't need the big screen. No, no, they don't need the big, they made a work at loop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Atlanta showed that. I think even JP Doyle mentioned it during the thing. It's like, yeah, we don't need to put it up. Someone's looking at it. Yeah. um, During one of the games too. Um, That's, that's a side tangent though, but um, I think that's interesting. The one thing I do think needs to change, uh, definitely needs to change. And I'll go back to my one pet peeve of the league, which is the injury reports. Um, you know, going in, into this game, into both the games, and you're seeing like Dom, Carl, say Williams, you know, key guys missing from the lineups with little to no explanation. Uh, Brian Ray, I think, eventually confirmed that Dom is injured. Dom's but you know, Carl say not that Carl say nothing. Um, why wasn't Van Voot playing? Why wasn't Lance Williams playing? I think, and the biggest, the thing that I get with with the injury reports the most is just that, like, there's teams in the league that do it, like the Arrows do it. LA kind of does it. They kind of mix it into like some of their pre match like yes. previews and stuff. They kind of mix it in. They don't really have an official one, but they, they at least kind of put something out. Um, but I think that's one of those things that the league definitely needs to improve upon for next year. Because I think like as this league grows, like that's going to become something that just can't continue to happen, I don't think. And, you know, you look at how MLR has partnered with a handful of like gambling related companies. And, you know, one of the big things with gambling and stuff, you look at like the NFL, which is one of the, like the biggest leagues for gambling and stuff. They have like a full page on their website dedicated to injury reports, right? Uh, TSN has a whole page dedicated simply to NHL. Yeah, and injuries, it's right? funny. Will Kelly kind of just asked Brian Wayne, it's like, why do you need to know? Like, because and, no, but. And, and then he also kind of said that like injury reports isn't always tr- truthful. Keep that in mind. But if we want to grow the league, and again, like you said, we want to no, do fantasy here's stuff. The th- 
And if we want to have guys like you and Brian write reports and talk about, if we want to have more people writing about rugby, like we need to know these things in all honesty, narrative. Yeah. with, with yeah. saying if it's truthful or not, in all honesty, I don't care if it's truthful or not. Tell me the guy's out. Tell me how long he's out for. Right. Like that's all, you know, what I mean? like you're kind of looking at, like I'm looking at the Utah warriors right now. And it's like, okay, so why isn't Lance Williams playing? Why isn't one of your best players playing in a playoff game? It's either like, like, what are you left with? He's either hurt or the coach has lost his mind. Like, I don't, and, and I don't I know where to go. Of, right. Like, and it, I think part of one of those things too, is that like with the semi-professional nature of the sport, of MLR, but, I wonder if it's like it's like oh we don't want to have to say that like oh Lance can't come because he's got a you know he can't get hurt because he's got to work this you know week. I know he's a, that, he's, a, he's, a school, he's a school teacher, so you know might not. Then say he's then say he's hurt. Then say like you. Yeah, can, like that's where the truthfulness say, comes into yeah, play. Like, say upper body injury. He can't if, play if, this if weekend. If he's not if he's not actually hurt, just call it. He's out for personal reasons. Yeah. Say, yeah. Like, just give say an, ac- come like, on, an guys. explanation. Come on, guys. It's not that hard. He, like yeah. yeah, just just say just say he's unavailable if you yeah. want to just unavailable get... for selection. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, guys. Right. But this is but this is what they do in like. Um, the European leagues, they will say these players are out for injury. These players are out for international duty. Yeah, because I mean, like we were going through like well, we the hours list, and we forgot players. about the Uruguayan players. It's easy to figure out international duty because they show up in a game for another country for a country. So yeah, but yeah, but, yeah, but that's the thing. Not not ev- not every fan is as tuned in as my, we are. Yeah, but that's that's what I mean. But, yeah, if we're starting to try to pull in new fans, I see. Yeah, but okay, so new like, fans though, that, like that's where I think this is important. Is like, yeah, he's agreeing. So, with I you. think in growing the game, something that needs to happen is like I think encouraging gambling and to an extra extent fantasy is a good way to grow the game, right? Fantasy sports in North America is huge across all the major leagues, and I think like I'm looking back at this season and be like, you in the current state of the league. Um, you can't do fantasy for major league rugby. No, it would be a, it's it would it wouldn't it wouldn't work at all, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, stats, which obviously is a big financial endeavor. So I understand why that's not there. But it's like the injury reports partnered too. with like with, picture, yeah, they like picture with stats some, companies, they, right? Like, yeah, exactly. So I like I think it's definitely stuff they're building towards. I'm not saying they're not building towards it. Um, but I think like you know, I mean, like there's even some things like say we had a fantasy league this year, Dan, and you drafted Jeff Hassler right to like be like how well and you're sitting there in week four being like well how long is this guy out for yeah. i need to win at some least with like football they, they they provide injury updates. yeah exactly that but that's uh, we, why we they had to find it, out from a guy from from a, a podcaster yeah but but that's but that's why they was. do it though right is because it encourages that extra yeah. level of fan engagement sure. so but even at that it, it also just like gets rid of questions like why didn't lance williams play why didn't jason don play why didn't Adrian Carl say play, right? It's just the questions that you're out there to ask, right? Um, and I, th- I just think, like, I know it's, it's a bit of a pet peeve. I know I rant about it. A no, no, it's fine. Because I, I agree with you. But I, I, th- I think it is something that needs to improve going forward. Be interesting to see, especially from Atlanta's point of view, if Dom, Carl, say Van Voot, those guys are back in the lineup for the final. For sure. Um, if not, and like, if they're not, then for two weeks in a row, I'm like, okay, so you have... Like one also, of the best, one also of the, best the difference of in the Kurt Coleman 
the difference that Kurt Coleman being in and Iskira was a big difference for me. For I, yeah. I forgot to mention that. I but even that, like, Kurt Coleman was another guy that got hurt, but the difference was like we saw him get hurt. So everybody, like, we were all kind of like, yeah, Coleman's not playing because he's hurt. Like, here's the footage of him getting hurt, right? But even at that, it's like you should have to follow something like that up being like, yeah, he's out for, you know, two to three months or whatever he ended up being out for. All right. And that's the end of my... my that's the end of your rant. And we got we to gotta finish up this episode, guys, because we're getting close. Episode. I know. That's fine. All right, guys. We have one more Major League Rugby match. This one is more. it. This is this is it this is it so we are going to make our final predictions for this season on who will be lifting the shield mm-hmm. and judging by the fact that my name is first i am going to go first i am going to say that la wins Ooh. are you going to offer any explanation or anything with that yeah or? um i think that they have now played, you know, they played rugby ATL. They know about the, I think when you've got decision makers like Gitau, Adam Ashley Cooper, Billy Meeks, um, Poitavin, like they've got guys who have experience. And when I think that they now knowing and now having much more tape of rugby ATL to look at, I think that they are going to be able to manipulate that line speed kind of like how I mentioned how the arrows did in the second half of that fire and ice cup. Mm-hmm. And you give guys like DTH, Ryan James, Ryberg a chance to kind of break through that. Mm-hmm. They need to fix up their lineup. Their lineup was kind of a mess the last couple weeks. I mean, I know the, the first Utah game was kind of their B plus squad or their ACE, ACE, a squad, you know, so it wasn't the full guilties lineup, but both games that kind of looked messy. So if they could kind of solidify that as a set piece that they've used all year, um, I like their chances. So I'm going to go with LA. Derek. Oh, this game's going to be fun. Um, I'm actually, I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. That it's in LA, a little bit of grass, hopefully a bit of sun, get some great weather for the match. Um, I think this I think this game's gonna be really close. Obviously, Dan, I think we talked about last week how the previous meeting between these two is probably our favorite game of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, just with the you know, the way rugby ATL played defense in that game was phenomenal. Um, obviously, if they can do that again, um, life will be they could probably make life miserable. Um, I think I think they're getting Angus Cottrell back. I think his suspension's up. Um, so L, like LA, that'll that'll be pretty good. Um, the interesting thing that you did kind of mention is you, right then you said that uh, like LA's line out has been eh or so lately. Okay, you're nodding. All right, people yeah, can see, no, people can't see nods on audio then, but okay. Um, if they're watching, uh, if they're watching it, they got the nod, but people people can't see nods uh, or people can't hear nods, I guess. Um, but it's like kind of looking at it though, it's like yeah, like their their line out. You know, it, their lineout is really good. It's one of the better lineouts in the league, um, but it, it like it hasn't necessarily been clicking. And Johan Momsen and Connor Cook are two of the best guys in the league at messing up your lineout, mm-hmm. right? So it's like that'll be. So I think that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, you know, obviously, I think, I think the big one with this is that 
LA, LA, I think is the best offensive team in the league. And then rugby ATL is the best defensive team in the league. So that's always an interesting dynamic to go up against. However, rugby or rugby ATL's offense isn't as good as LA's defense. Right. So it's like, you do kind of have that mix. It's just to me, and set piece, I think LA, like I just kind of said, I think rugby ATL has a little bit of an advantage and in the line out, I think they have an advantage in the scrum. I think they still have a slight advantage in that as well. Um, Chance Wingluski versus Charlie Abel matchup that I really like in favor of Atlanta's side. And I just, in general, like, you know, the way rugby ATL plays and they beat LA before. So they figured out the book on them. It's the big question for me though, is also like who, who is going to actually play for rugby ATL, right? Well, they got the, um, you know, they, they, like we said, this like, they have a lot of guys that were missing without explanation, last week so who actually returns do any of those guys return because if they are if they're all back it's a little bit different um full i think like full powered rugby atl i think can win this game um if they're missing some guys though i'm not you know what then i think it becomes a little bit harder um so i'm I'm, i've said the same thing in like the whole year though it's like offense sells tickets defense wins championships so i'm going to go with rugby atl ATL. And uh, yeah, I think Derek already like mentioned all the uh, intricate details of why ATL would um, win. And But obviously LA aren't one to let, um, you know, previous uh, encounters uh, foretell what will happen in the next round, as shown with Utah. But uh, I, th- I think ATL will come in. They'll force errors on LA. And even if it just means that it's similar to the game against New York, where they're just like death by penalties, then maybe that's what they have to do. But I hope my gaggle of Australian lads prove both of you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, guys? I think that's probably where we'll end it tonight. Uh <laughs> Stu's camera has decided that as well. So, <laughs> folks, we've got yeah, Stu's like a Stu's, Stu's, Stu's gone, I guess. We are finishing up our, our, our sevens with the women's this week. We've got the MLR final running into the next couple of, uh, of weeks. You know, we'll be rugby less. So, um, tune in to see what we've got in store. Um, if you want to listen to more of our podcast episodes, uh, we've done a couple of great interviews. We've been kind of outlining how things have gone for MLR, the Arrows, Rugby Canada, all of it. We've kind of covered it all on this show. So please feel free to look back at some of our episodes. Find us at LaRouge Rugby on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are on YouTube where all of our episodes are posted on all of your pod- podcasting platforms. Gentlemen, let's pitter-patter and get at it because we have a rugby match to watch. <laughs> <laughs>